Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? All right, all right, awesome. Good to see you guys this afternoon. Man, yesterday was such a nice day. It was like 60 degrees out. Uh, my wife and I, we were out in the park with our, with our kids as well as everybody else was out in the park playing. And uh, it's a little cold, but hopefully we can get that back again. So anyways, uh, why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. If there's anyone here that's here for the first time, thank you for joining us this afternoon and making this your, uh, your place of worship. I'm Pastor Tony, one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Uh, before we begin service, I'd like to call up my sister Lara Inez to come up and share a testimony of what the Lord has done in her life. Yes, please give a warm welcome as she comes up to share. Good afternoon, y'all. It's great to be back. <laughs> um, my testimony today is a really important testimony. Uh, when I was in Brazil, I was like, yes, I can't wait to say to tell this testimony. Um, since last year, exactly a year ago, God put in my heart to pray for my family, to pray specifically for uh, one thing that happened maybe five, four years ago. I don't remember exactly. But my mother and, uh, and her brother, they had a disagreement, uh, the fight, you know, like those family issues things. But that ended up for them not talking for four years with each other, living in the same city, very close to each other, by the way. But they just didn't talk to each other for a while. And that was something that it was their decision. But God really put in my heart to pray over this for them, you know, to just break this bitterness in their heart. And when I went back in the summer, I talked to, to them, you know, I went to their houses and talked. And, but they didn't want to talk to each other at all. So I kept praying and praying. And when I went uh, over right now for, uh, for the holidays, it was great. I really, you know, talked to them and they just decided that it was the time. It was time to talk to each other, to just say, you know, I forgive you and all the things. So for me, it was amazing to see a fruit of a prayer really happening. And I could witness this. And it was great, just amazing. And like forgiveness happened. And I could see this happening through my, you know, through my prayers uh, and by God's grace, of course. So it was amazing. It was really um, a great time in Brazil. So I'm happy to be here and I've been sharing this with you. And just, you know, what I can say is in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 31. So get rid of all the bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, uh, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ uh, has forgave you. So... Um, just if you have something in your heart today, I pray that you, you know, just let it go and pray about it over. If you have something or if, if you know someone has something against you as well, you know, just keep this in your heart. Always praying about it. And as church, let's be united. So let's pray this afternoon. Um, Abba, thank you for this day that you prepared for us to be here. Thank you, Jesus, for all your the grace that you have showed us. Um, I pray that this afternoon we we you know feel your Holy Spirit uh, overwhelm us with your love, God. Let us you know be free in your Holy Spirit. I pray for uh, unity in this church, God. We as your church, we pray, God, that you know let us be united. Let let us. Um, love each other as we stand here as church let us love you and love each other in jesus name i pray amen Up your 
come up to the front. We got an intimate service here today. I want you to come up for worship. We're going to lift him up today. Hallelujah. Come on, come make your way up to the altar. Sing this out. Sing.
Jesus, Lord, today we want to experience a new side of you, Lord. God, we've come to lift you up, Lord. We've come to praise you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for ears to hear what you're saying to your church today, God. Lord, that, Lord, you would speak to every heart in this place, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Can you just lift up your voice today, right now? Come on, I want you to just get alone with him. Just say, God, give me ears to hear what you're saying to my heart, Lord.
your lives right now. Fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, can you just start speaking in tongues right now? Can you fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in your heart?
Father, we ask for your kingdom to come here as it is in heaven, here at Metro Praise, dear God, that we would see your kingdom manifested before us, dear God. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come in the city of Chicago as it is in heaven, that your will will be done over this nation as it is in heaven, dear God, in our government as it is in heaven. This afternoon, dear God, we come before you and we ask, dear God, that as your disciples, we would wait to see these things, dear God, take place right before us. We love you. We adore you, King of Kings, and we know that there's so much more that you want to do in us and through us, dear God. Let your kingdom come through us, dear God. Let your will be done through us. Why don't you lift up your hands this afternoon as a sign of surrender to King Jesus. As we're singing this song, your kingdom come, your will be done. Come on. As we're singing this song, he's wanting to know that he's going to do it through us. Disciples, lay down. Disciples, surrender to him. just show us what you want to do in the in our lives dear God in the communities that we impact dear God how you're going to establish your kingdom in our workplace how you're going to establish your kingdom in our communities in this city and all over this world I pray right now for visions I pray dear God for revelations of what you want to do through us I just want to take a few moments that you would just settle your heart and just receive a word from the Lord as you meditate on the words of these, this song. I want to be open to what God wants to show you, not what you have planned, not what you think, how you think God is going to use you, but God has a specific way for his church and how he wants it to operate. Come on, disciples. God wants to show you how he's going to use you everywhere that you go. Thank you, Lord. Come on, one more time. Let's sing this together as we close out this time of worship. we thank you that you are here that you are speaking to your people that you are doing an amazing work I pray dear God that you would be glorified this afternoon that your name would be lifted high I pray Lord that disciples would continue to arise in this place Lord and that we would be obedient to the call that you have on our lives that we would desire more than anything else dear God we would desire to see your kingdom established right before us 
Lord, now that we would see your kingdom just move just amazingly in our families and in the lives of those around us, that we would see people get saved left and right, that we would see signs, wonders, and miracles, dear God, following the preaching of the gospel, that we would see, dear God, just the miraculous take place before us because our desire is to lift your name up high. So have your way, Holy Spirit, in our lives. We surrender to you. We desire to please you and do what you want us to do. So have your way this afternoon through the message. I pray, dear God, that disciples would arise that want to make disciples and impact this world around them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? Amen. Please find a seat. And I want to dismiss the children. Everyone else, please turn with me in your Bibles to John 5, 24. I want to share the gospel with you real quick. The powerful, awesome gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. It says here, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Amen? Here's Jesus is speaking. He's saying, if you believe in my Father, and you believe what he has said about me, you will not be judged. Who wants to be judged in this place? No? Nobody? Why? Because judgment is not good, right? With judgment comes punishment, comes consequences. The thing is that you and I deserve judgment because of our sin. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in God Almighty, the Bible says that in that moment we are saved and we receive eternal life. It's that simple. We believe, we have faith. Guess what happens when we understand who God is, when we truly believe? It is our desire to turn away from sin. Is that not right? When we put our faith in God Almighty and Jesus Christ and understand what he did on that cross for us, it is our desire to say, I don't want to sin anymore. So when you and I put our faith in Christ, repentance happens and eternal life comes. That's the only way that we can receive eternal life is by trusting in him, the one who purchased our salvation. You receive eternal life. We're born again. Something new happens on the inside, and you're no longer the same again. You can't get it on your own. You can't purchase it. You can't be a good enough person to get eternal life. It's by his grace and his grace alone. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We serve a good God, and he's drawing you near. Today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not born again. You haven't received that transformation from the inside out. God is calling you, and he's drawing you near. And he says, today is the day of salvation. See, it's his mercy and his grace that has withheld his wrath, that has withheld his judgment upon the earth because he wants all men to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you could please stand to your feet with me this afternoon, we're going to pray. If you don't know Jesus, if he's not Lord and Savior of your life, if he is not the boss who reigns over you today, I beckon you to come to ask for forgiveness. And we have some prayer workers right over here who would love to pray with you. But we're going to pray now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And I lift up every person in this room, dear God. And I pray 
for just a softening of the heart. That humility would come and that hearts would receive the truth today. That it's only through you that, that there's forgiveness of sin. There's only through you that there is salvation, dear God. And I pray that they would cling on to those words and never be the same again as they're transformed. They're transformed from the inside out by you and your, your loving and mercy and your grace. I pray for disciples to arise in this room, men and women of God who will become leaders, who would be able to testify of how good you are in this life, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. If that's you and you're saying, I want Jesus, I want to tell you one more time, come pray with this couple up here because they want to show you how to get connected and how to keep living for Christ after this. Amen? What we're going to do is we're going to recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. So we're going to do this together on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Greet somebody new. If you need prayer, our prayer workers are right up here for you.
Welcome to Metro Praise International, everybody. If you guys are out getting coffee, make your way back into the sanctuary. Um, I want to take a moment and to introduce myself. My name is Jerry. I'm a campus pastor here of the 1 p.m. service. And so we want to welcome you guys. We have a 10 a.m and a 1 p.m. service every single Sunday. So there's always something for everybody. If you're an earlier riser, come to our 10 a.m. If you are a later riser, you like to eat breakfast with your family first, come at 1 p.m., amen? And then we have uh, a service on Fridays for Elevate. At 7 p.m. every single Friday. I want to introduce you guys to the Metro Praise International app, okay? We got an app for that. All right, so if you guys need anything, the daily devotionals are there. Um, if you guys want to give your tithes and offering, you can do it through that website or that app. And then um, just everything that we do here, sermons, etc., is all going to be on that app. So uh, just go to whichever one and you can download that. Uh, want to connect you guys to our vision. How Everybody here, you guys know that we got a vision, right? It's to love God and love people. Amen? You guys love God? You love people? Show the world. So then we want to connect you to Jesus, right? We want to connect you to our life groups. How many of y'all get life at life groups? You guys been to life group. You get, you get filled up. You get that fellowship. We cannot live this life with Jesus without fellowship. That is not what we were created for. We are created to have a, a relationship and a fellowship with God and with each other. So this is how you guys are going to connect. This is a snapshot of this week. If you guys want to know what we do throughout the month, uh, you guys have that little flyer in front of you, and that has all of our life groups for the whole month. But this week, we got Wednesdays, King's Kids. How many of y'all take your kins, kids to King's Kids? Zero to 11 years old. There's something for your children. That is awesome. Meets here, 6.30 p.m. at the church. Thursday nights, every single Thursday, gang outreach. They meet here at the church. You guys can go out. They're, they're reaching out to gangbangers and the hood. And this city needs Jesus. Amen? Then Friday night, we have two adult Bible studies you get to choose from. One at the pastor's Go the Pastor Govea's house, and then one on Friday nights at our house, the Vivid Life Group. Um, just a quick side note is that this week, the Govea's Bible study will be meeting at the Vivid's house, okay? Um, Pastor Griselda is probably going to be having her baby this week. So keep her in your prayers, but I just want you guys to have a heads up. 3250 West Berteau Avenue, that is where Life Group is going to be at its fellowship Friday. Come excited, get filled up fellowship, all right? Next, we have, uh, this is how we mentor you. We mentor you in our 101 and our 201. 101, you get one-on-one -on -one mentorship with a discipler, a deacon or an elder that serves in the church, they want to pour into your life. They want to teach you how to walk with Jesus, how to grow in Jesus. And so 
Use the resources that God has given you. Amen. And then we want to raise you up to do 201. And that is a leadership discipleship training class done by Pastor Jared. I mean, you are just going to get so filled up with knowledge. You will be able to defend your faith to anyone. And that's what God called us to be, to be educated believers. Amen. And so then we want to send you out. Everybody say, send. We want to send you out to do evangelism, to do what God did in you and help others do the same. So every Saturday night, they meet here 5 to 8 p.m., and they go out witnessing in the street, and you can do that too. It will build up and encourage your faith, and that is what we want you to do. That is what God wants you to do. So then again, to give you another snapshot of this, we want to connect you to Life Group. We want to mentor you, and we want to send you out. And who knows that we have a... that's our strategy, but our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in the city of Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. You got to have that little sass in there, all right? Amen. I'll be sassy for you. All right, that's what I like to hear. Next, we, we're going to talk about our tithes and offerings. How many of y'all know that is it, impo- it is important to give your tithes and offerings to the Lord? If you believe in Jesus, this is a mandate for all believers across the world. A tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church, and then you can give above and beyond that, and we have two places, which is missions and building. So then I want to take you guys... Um, to our giving book. This is also found on your app. It's updated every week. That's exciting, right? So lesson four, the tithe is relevant for today. Definition, the tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. So I want us to go to this scripture, Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. How many of y'all know that Jesus rebuked people? We just want to believe that Jesus was this all-loving, all-the-time kind of fluffy Jesus who's like, it's okay. But no, he rebuked people. He re- it says he disciplines those he loves. And he loved the Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders, but he wasn't going to put up with their shenanigans and their, and their hard hearts. He was trying to get to them. So this is what he did. He's, Jesus commended the Jews for tithing. He was not rebuking them for tithing. He commended them for that. It says, but the Jewish leaders were rebuked for many things, but being faithful in tithing was something Jesus complimented. But how many of you know tithing by itself is not all that God wants? God wants more than just our wallets, but he, he also wanted our hearts. We should practice both tithing and justice, mercy and faithfulness. It's not an either or, but a both and. God does care about what's in your wallet, but he cares more about what's in your heart. And he gives you an abundance so that you can give out of yourself even more. In summary, Jesus was concerned with people giving their best to God in tithing, and he wanted people to be full of love for others. Therefore, we should do both today as well. Application. 
one, be faithful in your tithing. Do not rob God. God said, test me in this and see if I won't pour out an abundant blessing. And two, don't hide your disobedience behind giving money. Be sure to both tithe and be obedient to all of God's other commands. We want to be faithful in all things. I want to have a good heart as well as a good tithing um, confession of my faith every time I get paid. So I want us to confess this over our lives together on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed in obedience, and is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. Amen. I want to be a partner with God. I want to be a co-laborer with him in all that he does. So again, tithe is 10% of your total income given faithfully, regularly to the church. There's a place to designate on the envelopes that you can give to either missions or building. So just designate the amount you want in each when you do it. And then we also have seven ways to give in this church. Um, we are a church that believes that technology can be used for God's glory. Amen. So you can give either in the front, uh, in these drop boxes, uh, during the offering time. In the back, you can see me with a credit or debit card. There's wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. You can give at any time during service. On the MPI app that I was telling you guys about earlier, um, Chase QuickPay at give at mpichurch.org. You can text MPI give to that number, 206-859-9405 and online at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So we want to, let me have you guys stand up. We're going to read this verse together, and then we're going to pray for our tithes, and then you will be free to give. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Bow your heads with me. God, we thank you so much for being our provider. We thank you for the jobs. We thank you for the increase. We thank you that you are the God that sees our needs and, and meets them. So, Lord, I pray that each and every person here would just be faithful with giving their tithes, that they would test you in this, and they would see you come through time and time again because you are faithful and true. So, Lord God, we just, we just ask you to bless this seed, bless the, the gift and the giver. God, let it always be used to sow good seed in good soil and that we would see an abundant harvest in the days to come. And we just love you and we lift this up in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen and amen. You guys can rejoice as you give um, and have a blessed day.
Good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you all here today for second service. I am not Pastor Joe. Uh, he took a well-deserved vacation, amen, he's down in Florida, his first vacation in as long as I've known him, he's a very hard-working man, uh, so I'm glad he's getting refreshed there with his family, but you're stuck with me for today, my name is Jared Walker, I'm one of the pastoral staff, if you haven't seen much of me, it's, it's usually because I'm in the first service, uh, but I'm preaching both services today, we're continuing our series on the church as the pillar of and foundation of the truth. If we could just go ahead and get those notes ready, thank you very much, uh, and go ahead and scroll down a bit so we can have that uh, text, that introductory text showing. So we have been learning in this series that Jesus's plan to change the world is his church. And I find that oftentimes to understand what something is, you have to understand what it is not. Jesus's plan to change the world is not through technology. All right. Jesus did not tell his disciples, listen, I got the Jesus app. Make sure everyone downloads the app and uses the app. It'll change their lives, change the world, technology. Jesus's plan is to change the world is not through government. He doesn't say let's institute some kind of dictatorship that forces everyone to become Christian. Right. Because, by the way, if you have a government that enforces that, uh, that would lead to a lot of false converts, would it not? People who just believe by name or believe because they have to or say they believe anyway. So, so that wasn't it. It wasn't entertainment. It wasn't, it wasn't like let's, let's put on plays and productions. Let's, let's have a, a, a production house. Let's make movies. Let's put out records. That's not what Jesus uh, gave his disciples to do or education or any of these things. And I'm not saying that. Christians or the church should withdraw from government, education, entertainment, or any of these areas. In fact, we've been arguing that the church needs to impact and influence the government. Amen? In order for a godly government where righteousness and, and peace uh, will reign in the land. Amen? We, we want the church to impact and influence entertainment, education, every sphere of life. The church as the pillar and foundation of truth is to have the, the greatest influence. But we don't put the cart before the horse. We put the church first, and the church is simply people, people like you. It's the people who believe in Jesus, who belong to Jesus, and seek to live like Jesus, the church. That's his plan to change the world. Today I want to focus on the method that Jesus gave. It's a twofold method. If you want to think of a pair of legs and the word go, right? The word go means you're going somewhere, you're moving. Jesus said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and so the two legs that we go upon is discipleship and evangelism. Discipleship is when someone is taught to follow Jesus and keep his commands in every part of life. Evangelism is when someone tells others the good news about Jesus, inviting them to believe in Jesus and become his disciples. We're going to return to that, those two concepts in a moment, but I, I want to go back to our series text. We've been studying 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, 14 and 15. Please scroll down. It's right there in the notes. Please scroll down. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. 
pray for pray for our brother here. All right. Oh, yeah, there you go. First Timothy three fourteen through fifteen. Let's read this. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. As an introduction, I want to unpack this text and some of the key terms that we find. The first thing we see is God's household. The church is first of all seen as a family Anybody come from a family? Everyone have parents, brothers, and sisters? This is how God chooses to relate to us. He said in 2 Corinthians 6.18, which is on the screen, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's how God relates to us. Not as uh, master to slave, uh, boss to employee, dictator to subject, but as father to children. And so God is our heavenly father in the church, and we are brothers and sisters to one another. Isn't that good news? And so the whole point of the letter of 1 Timothy, that is, Paul, who is an apostle, is writing to Timothy, a pastor who's overseeing a church, and he gives him various instructions to say, these are the rules for God's house. This is how they conduct themselves. This is how they treat God. This is how they treat one another. This is the, the thesis of Timothy, if you will. And he then identifies God's household as the church of the living God. That word church from Greek is ekklesia. So the New Testament originally written in Greek. The word ekklesia, where in Spanish we get iglesia. And if you're super Spanish, Julio Iglesias which means he goes to many churches, I think. Or maybe he just needs to go to church. He needs Jesus anyway. Ecclesia. Now, that word in Greek does not always mean church how we understand it today. It has a variety of meanings because it simply means a gathering or assembly. And in this world, there are lots of gatherings and assemblies. I'll give you some very relevant examples. Yesterday... In Washington, D.C., and in other cities, even Chicago, we had women's marches. And so these were gatherings of women and men around the tenets of so-called feminism. Okay, you get me? So in that sense, it's an ecclesia. It's these people who are gathered around the cause of their feminism. Friday, you had a couple of other gatherings. There was the pro-Trump gathering at the inauguration, then there's the anti-Trump gathering. But there's people gathered around a cause, gathered around common beliefs and values. Uh, one more example, the NRA, National Rifle Association, is people gathered around the Second Amendment, firearms, hunting, self-defense, and other related issues. So there's lots of ecclesias in the world, lots of gatherings of people but we are the church, the ecclesia of the living God. We gather here on, on Sunday, the Lord's Day, believing in Jesus' name and worshiping the living God together. And there are gatherings like this, local gatherings going on all over the world, in all parts of the world, in different languages. People are praising and worshiping the living God in Jesus' name. So 
I, I want to take a little bit of a detour here to give you some marks of the church. What makes the church the church? What separates us from the women's march? What separates us even from other religious gatherings? Let me give you the 10 marks. If you could go ahead and scroll down, please. And we're going to take some time on this. These traits are common to every good and healthy church. Does anyone know of a good and healthy church? You know, I wouldn't be here if I didn't think it was a good and healthy church. And there's a lot of good and healthy churches out there. Let me just say that. There's a lot of places we can go, but we, we want to find these marks here. The first is the confession of Jesus Christ. Brother, if you could go and turn to Matthew 16, please. Matthew 16, verse 15. While he finds his place there, let me just give you the gist of it. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to them, Who do men say that I am? And their answer is, well, they think you're John the Baptist. They think you're Jeremiah. They think you're one of the prophets. Jesus then asked them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? I'm going to paraphrase the whole text if, uh, before you get there. Are you there? Matthew 16, verse 15. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers. He speaks up for the group. And he says, he says in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is the confession. Jesus response, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Thank you for scrolling. Um, we're just having some communication here. It's okay. We're, we're very casual here in the second service, right? Amen. Just, just take it easy, you know. We're having a good time. So the, con the rock upon which the church is built is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, some folks say that it was uh, Peter himself, that Peter was the pope. I'm not even going to go there. Jesus is the rock. The revelation that the father gave to Peter is the same revelation that he gives to everyone who becomes his disciples. At some point, God had to reveal to you who Jesus really was. Amen? That Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. He is the one whom the prophecies foretold. And Peter just got this like download from heaven. It wasn't what the people on the street were saying. It wasn't something he dreamed up. But God himself had revealed this truth. And so the church is founded upon that truth. Now as an aside, I got to say that bound up in this confession of Jesus Christ is overall solid theology. Because there are Mormons who named Jesus Christ. There are Jehovah's Witnesses who named Jesus Christ. Well, what's the difference there? Well, among other things, Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. So we believe, and the Bible reveals, that there is one God over and over again. One God. If you worship other gods, you're going to get stoned. Okay? It's, it won't go good for you if you worship other gods. It's emphatic, front to back, one God. And yet the Bible reveals there is the Father who is God, 
the Son who is God and the Spirit who is God. Three persons and the one uh, are revealed in the one being of God. There is no other religion on planet Earth that teaches a Trinitarian God. None. So we believe that Jesus, he is the God the Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is eternal, uncreated God comes down and takes on human flesh. So that's all kind of bound up in our confession of Jesus Christ. Not merely saying that he is the Christ. Even Muslims say he was the Christ. Um, but they would deny that he was God. So if you say that Jesus was merely a prophet, you are not in the church. If you say Jesus was merely a good man, you are not in the church. If you say that Jesus was an angelic being or a demigod of some kind, you are not a part of the church because the church is founded on the revelation of who he truly is. Amen. And so that is a mark of the church. The second thing is adherence to the scriptures. Turn to Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 through 17. The church has the Bible and I don't have time to get into it, but many times in the scriptures themselves, it is referenced as the voice of God, as God speaking. And in this text here, Second Timothy three sixteen, the scriptures are called God breathed. It is the voice of God speaking to the church. In another place, the church is called the bride of Christ. So you could think of it as the husband or the groom. Through the scriptures, he speaks to the bride and, and tells her, you know, what she needs to know about him. And so the, the Bible is the voice of God. It is the very word of God. It governs it, it, and guides everything we do as the church. Amen. And so we have a very high view of scriptures in the church. The third thing is a proclamation of the gospel. Turn to Romans 1.16, please. Romans 1.16. We have a proclamation of the gospel. What is the gospel, folks? It's good news. Okay. Look at Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The church contains good news of salvation for everyone who believes. The church, the people of God, are the only people that have this good news. The pro-Trump rally doesn't have it. The anti-Trump rally doesn't have it. Other religions do not have it. We alone possess this good news about Jesus Christ that brings salvation to people. And we are responsible to proclaim that good news. I asked a moment ago, what is the gospel? I thought a lot about how to define the gospel. And I'll put it to you like this. The gospel is the whole Christian worldview. It's the whole Christian worldview. How is that? Well, the gospel tells you who God is. And if you start with the belief about God as the creator, as the lawgiver, as the judge, as the father... If you have this image of God who created the world and made people in his image, does that not change your worldview? The, the gospel tells you who you are. You are made in God's image and likeness, but you are fallen. You are sinful. You're broken. When you look at the world and you look at yourself and others through that lens, your worldview changes. 
The gospel tells you what the world's greatest problem is. And it's not the economy, it's not the environment, it's not education, it's evil. It's human evil. It's human rebellion, sin against God. When we say to our creator, I'm going to do me, I don't need you, I got this. And as a result, we have the world we live in today. How many agree the world's a pretty messed up place? Be, and, and we all are complicit by our sin, by rejecting our creator and his good ways. Tell, and so that, that becomes key to our worldview. And of course, it brings us to Jesus. The fact that we are so far gone in our sin and our evil ways that we cannot save ourselves. God has to come down. God became like us. God took on human form, talking Jesus, God the Son. To save us from our sins. And it took no less than his sacrifice on the cross. To purchase our forgiveness. It took no less than his resurrection from the dead. To bring us out of death and into life. And peace with God. And all of this is obtained by faith. Because we cannot earn salvation. The only thing we can do when we hear this good news. Is to believe on Jesus. This is the Christian worldview. This is it. And so when we go out evangelizing, when we preach the gospel to folks, we're essentially saying embrace the Christian worldview. Reject your worldview, whatever it was, whether you were from Eastern religion, whether you're secularist, whatever you are, reject that worldview. Embrace the Christian worldview. Embrace that you are a creature of the creator God. Embrace that you are fallen in need of redemption. Embrace that God has provided redemption only through his son Jesus. And it changes how you look at the world. So the church proclaims the gospel. The fourth thing we have is shared life in the spirit. Turn to Romans 8 verses 9 through 11. There's a saying, real, recognize real. So when I got an iPhone the other day, I, I got it within recent weeks, I text people, and I've had more than one person text me back and say, hey, you got an iPhone, congratulations, welcome to the club. And I'm like, what? Like, how do you know? Apparently, when I text them, my text bubble is a different color. And so when you have an iPhone, you can tell who else has an iPhone. It's real, recognized, real. But it's like that with the spirit. Because God gives his spirit, he pours out his spirit on all of his people. And that's the third person of the Godhead, mind you. See, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Spirit indwells all of his people. So there will be people all over the world today worshiping the living God. They speak different languages. They're from different cultures. They dress differently. They look differently. But they all have the same spirit. And when they get together, real recognize real. And the Spirit bears witness that we are all children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 9 puts it like this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have the Holy Ghost. You become a Christian when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you, makes his dwelling there, cleans out the junk from your heart, and makes you a new creation. Until that has happened, I don't care what church you go to, what you call yourself, you're not a Christian. You don't belong to him. You need to have the Spirit of Christ. But as it says, 
uh, in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, though even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And so he's unpacking some deep thoughts and basically saying you're in this body, you're in this life, and you know it's still a body of death, so to speak. It's going to die, but you are alive on the inside. You are alive to God. You are more alive than you've ever been because of the spirit. Not only that, but we get to have fun too. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. I don't know if anyone knows this. We're Pentecostal here. We speak in tongues. We'll freak you out a little bit. I know I was freaked out the first time I came here and I heard people speaking in tongues. Um, we like that. We believe that God immerses people in the spirit. That God clothes, the, the, the language of the Bible is that he clothes us with power from on high. And this is empowerment to preach the gospel and to do the things he's called us to do ministry-wise. To, to win souls, to make disciples. We can't do it in our own strength, you understand? We need the Holy Ghost. So we believe that there is a baptism, an immersion in the Holy Spirit. Where God gives us the strength we need. We also believe in spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 1.7 says, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Has anyone been in our services and maybe heard a gift of prophecy? What it might sound like is someone actually maybe speaking in the voice of God or saying the Lord is saying or something to that effect. We get together and we exercise spiritual gifts because we believe that this, we all have the same spirit and then he gives gifts to different people in the gathering and uses us to edify and bless one another. So he might use Augustine to speak a word that will bless me. So Augustine will be his mouthpiece to speak a word from God to me or to someone else here. So that's an example. There's also tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, um, faith, miracles. There's nine gifts in all. We don't have time to get into those. But we get to have fun while we wait for Jesus. Amen. It's not just like, like you come up to the altar. I confer upon you the Holy Spirit. And then you're like, go sit back down and nothing happens. The people in the Bible, when the, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they had a tangible experience. There was power. There was a manifestation. We believe that that is a pattern. And we see that pattern until Jesus comes back. So we have shared life in the spirit. The fifth thing here is Christian love. Christian love. John 13, 34. Christians are to love everybody. You have to. You don't have a choice, right? You even love your enemies, right? And you, and you love people out there. No matter where they're coming from, gay, straight, black, white, whatever, Democrat, Republican, don't matter. You have to love everybody, right? You get to love everybody, I should say. But there is a unique love that Christians are to have for one another. John 13, 34, Jesus speaking to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Think about how much Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you a whole bunch. You're just like the little apple of his eye, aren't you? Right? He just, 
it, it, he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he says, as I have loved you, love one another. He's saying this to the disciples, that the disciples should love each other. There is a unique love that Christians are to have with one another. And so uh, let's dispel any myth that you can love Jesus but not the church. I could come at that from different angles. Jesus is the husband to the, to the bride, which is the church. You can't love um, a husband without loving his bride, right? Well, here we're told to love one another. And so if you don't like Christians, you actually have a problem with Jesus. Now, some people say, well, I love you, but I don't have to like you. Romans 12, 9. There's a rebuttal to that, too. Romans 12, 9 through 10. Actually, you do have to like other Christians. <laughs> you do have to get along with us. You do. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, the word here, love, should be brotherly love because it's translated from the Greek, Philadelphia, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, or it should be Adelphoi. But, yes, the city of brotherly love. So we are to have brotherly love for one another. I mean, you say, well, you know, I don't, like them, I don't get along with them, but I love them, um, and and I'll be there for them if it, when it counts. I highly doubt that. You gotta like people. You gotta get along with them. You gotta forgive them. You gotta be patient with them. You gotta put up with them. You gotta be willing to share life with them and open your hearts up to them and hear their hearts as well. And we are to love one another as Jesus loved us, which calls for a whole lot of patience, a whole lot of mercy, a whole lot of kindness. So that Christian love is to be felt. And Jesus said when we do that, when that's in practice, the world will know we are his disciples. It will be a sign to the outside world. Number six, godly leadership. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Godly leadership. Let me just say quickly, the pattern for leadership set in the Bible is not a pope a bishop in Rome who, who presides over all the churches worldwide. What you see in the Bible are local, independently governed churches. Presiding over those churches are a group of leaders, el and, the, and, and the types of leaders are called elders and deacons. I won't get into that distinction, but it's a group of these people called elders and deacons, and they oversee uh, the affairs of the church. That's how churches are to be governed. We have elders and deacons in this church. And um, here's the qualifications that are given here. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The word overseer, I believe that's presbyteros or it's episkopos. It's one of those two words, but it's really interchangeable with elder. Overseer, elder, interchangeable. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter. It's a long list of qualifications, but here's the key term, above reproach. So here's reproach, the Christian leader, above reproach. A reproach is something that could be spoken ill about you, like so-and-so 
gets drunk sometimes. So-and-so verbally abuses their spouse. That would be a reproach against your character. As a Christian leader, you are to have a blameless Christian testimony. There cannot be anything said of you that you are living in disobedience to Christ, that you are struggling with sin in some way that disqualifies you. And how many believe it's a good thing that Christians live up to to the standards of Christ, that the leaders here in this church, you wouldn't want to go to a mechanic, okay, and he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He watches car shows on cable television, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. He says, yeah, I'll look at your car. Yeah, leave it with me. I'll... I'll see what I can do. We would say that mechanic is unqualified, okay? There might be a, uh, someone who watches Grey's Anatomy or something, and they, that, that, that doesn't qualify them to be a surgeon. You get me? Well, how about the church? How about those who oversee God's household? Those who counsel you and pray for you, encourage you to keep you on the path of eternal life, should they not be qualified? Amen? And so it's a good thing that we have godly leadership done God's way because there can be churches where it's kind of upside down. You'll have like a deacon board that kind of controls everything, very politicized. These churches, I say, are deacon possessed, um, and it's not fun to be in those kinds of places. Very political atmosphere, not, not what God intended. And there can be churches where the leaders are all living in sin and nobody cares. You could be singing up here, you could be preaching up here, living a completely hypocritical life, but the show must go on. Do you really want people like that up here? Preaching, teaching your children, do you really want that? No, you don't. Which brings me to my next point, church discipline. Look at 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. I mentioned other ecclesias. And in any gathering of people, any group, they reserve the right to have certain standards for membership. You must agree with these tenets to be a member. You must meet these requirements to be a member. So let me go back to the Women's March. And I'm going to be a little sassy right now. So there was a, a huge gathering of women and men around abortion and birth control. It wasn't about feminism. It wasn't about elevating women. It was about abortion and birth control. And you know how I know that? There was a pro-life feminist group that says, hey, we're pro-life, but we're feminists. We, we love women. We want to elevate women. It says, nope, you can't be there. You've got to love abortion. You have to abide by these tenets if you want to be in our group. So they reserve that right. In their ecclesia, you have to abide by these tenets. You have to live this way. You have to reflect these beliefs and values. And if you don't, you're out. Now in the church, are you going to have people denying Jesus? Are you going to have people, you know, meditating like Buddhists in the church? Are you going to have people doing things that Jesus never said to do and Jesus commanded otherwise? Are you really going to have that? So the ecclesia of the church, Jesus' church, we reserve the right to put people out of our fellowship who deny Jesus by their statements and by their actions. 1 Corinthians 5, if you're taking notes, is a, is a chapter worth studying. If it helps you remember, you can call it the church discipline chapter or you can call it the incest chapter. Why do I call it that? 
well, there's a man who has his father's wife. Don't know if that's his stepmom. Don't want to know. But he's there in the church. He's open about it. And Paul says, you should be mourning. He says, you should be, you should be lamenting that you have someone in your midst living like this, but you're proud of how tolerant you are of this man. Now scroll to the end, about verse 9, I think. So he basically says, listen, I already made a call on this guy. You need to put him out. Because a little bit of leaven goes through the whole lump, as they say. It's going to infect. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, uh, we love you. We're actually glad you're here. If you're here and you're living and you know you're living in, in, in a sinful life that you need to repent of, we love you and we're glad you're here. But we're going to call you in order to be a part of Jesus' church to repent. Repent of unbelief. Repent of any known sin. Stop embracing that. Don't call yourself a brother or sister in Christ until you get your until you get that straight. Are y'all with me? Like you couldn't be in the NRA until you had a gun. You know what I'm saying? You, you need to show that you are seeking to obey and honor Jesus in your life. And so he, he goes on. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? In other words, there's Muslims. There's all kinds of people out there. And they can set their own rules. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Listen, we do church discipline. A lot of churches will not do that. They will not sit down, look you in the eye, and have the tough meeting with you where they confront you over sin. And some people don't want to do that. They want to keep you. They want to keep your, you in the seat for attendance purposes. They want to keep you for your tithe and your offering. They want to keep you because they like people who look like you in their seats. It looks good for them when you're there. But we have had lots of those meetings over the years because we do not lower the standard of what it means to be a part of Jesus' church. Amen? So we practice church discipline. The eighth mark of the church, back to our notes, is Trinitarian baptism. As I stated, the church of the living God were the only people on the planet who worship the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when we are baptized as believers, and this was a command of Jesus, Jesus said to baptize us, uh, to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, before Jesus came along, Jewish people had um, certain baptism rituals. and In other words, if you want to become a Jew, you had to do X, Y, and Z. And among those things was being baptized as a symbol of washing off your old Gentile way of life and your way of doing things and coming up clean. Well, Jesus continued with that 
We do not believe that there are magical properties in the water that make you a child of God. But we do believe that in the church it's a step of obedience to Jesus to be baptized as a proclamation that your old life is gone. It is crucified with Christ and your new life as rising up out of the water is him. You belong to him. So it's a proclamation that we take and we do it in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next is participation in the Lord's table. I'm talking about communion. And has anyone ever taken communion, maybe here or in another setting, maybe even like Catholic, you do the Eucharist? Well, uh, so here we have uh, a wafer and we have a cup. The wafer represents, y'all wait, the wafer represents what? The body of Jesus. The, the cup represents the blood. And so... This is essentially a reenactment of the Last Supper. Everyone know Da Vinci, the Last Supper, the long table, right? Jesus in the middle. And in the midst of that supper, it was the Passover. And Jesus is, he's the Passover lamb. He's the sacrifice. He, this is all, all symbolism uh, that's fulfilled in Jesus. But in that supper, as they're eating, this is, this is a feast. They're throwing down, okay? They're eating. Break some of the bread. It's unleavened bread, matzah, right? Like what the Jewish people eat. Breaks it, passes around, says, this is my body uh, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Takes the cup of wine because they're making merry. Amen? They're having a good time. So takes the cup of wine they've been drinking and said, this, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant that is poured out for you. Every time you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. And that carried on in the early church. Jesus said, to whenever you do that, do that in remembrance of me. And so that continued on in the early church. And every time they would get together, they would have what's called love feasts and the Lord's Supper. And they saw it as we are, we are a big family. And, and they saw it as a reenactment of sorts of the Last Supper. They saw it as remembering Jesus' death on the cross. In fact, in one place it says that, by taking the bread and drinking the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, we're preaching the Lord's death. We're preaching about the cross by taking these elements together. They did it in the course of a meal, but this is a fellowship thing. This is for the church. I don't advise you, if you don't believe in Jesus or are not living the way he would want you to, I don't advise you to do this. We don't do a salvation test when we take communion together. We just, we're just going to say, hey, you know what you're doing, right? This is, this is for the ch children of God. This is for the brothers and the sisters. And the Bible actually warns about those who take it in an unworthy manner. It says some have fallen asleep. What does he mean by falling asleep? They died. They died. Because they sinned against the body and blood of the Lord. They took it to be religious. They took it irreverently. There were a lot of ways it was really done wrong and out of disrespect to God and his people. And God judged those people who took that the wrong way. So I got to warn you, this is for the brothers and sisters. We want you to be here. We want you to partake, but you got to be in the family, the household. The last thing, and I'm not going to spend time on this because we're going to come back to it later, but it is the Great Commission. It is the job 
that Jesus gave his church to do, and that is to make disciples of all nations. And so that's where we get to discipleship and evangelism and how we accomplish that. But let's just continue on in the notes just a little bit. Um, if you could get back there in our breakdown of 1 Timothy 3, we took a bit of a detour to talk about the church. That was just the introduction to the introduction because we're not done with the intro. We still have to talk about the pillar and foundation. Uh, and simply put, if you could scroll down, these are architectural metaphors used to describe the church's function. In a building, pillars are used to bear the load of the upper floors and roof. The foundation undergirds and supports the entire structure. If these structural elements are missing or unsound, then the entire building is unstable and prone to collapse. So again, architectural, it's a metaphor, but it's saying that the church, by possessing the truth, by having the truth, gives stability and, and foundation for, for the world. Amen? And that brings me to what it says about the truth. If you scroll down to the truth, the church alone possesses and is responsible to practice and proclaim the truth of God. I hope you didn't miss this. There's three P's here. Possess, practice, and proclaim. The church alone possesses the truth of God, which is written and recorded in the Bible and embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. It contains all treasures of wisdom and knowledge and speaks authority, authoritatively to every area of life. The church alone has this truth. It's, we, we discussed the gospel. You can maybe think of them synonymously. It's in the Bible, but we have this message. We have the truth of God, and it's for every area of life. Upon this pillar and foundation, the church stands strong. And blessed lives, families, governments, and societies are built upon it. And we've been making this case for weeks now that the world around us needs the church to preach the truth to it. Amen? We possess the truth. The church possesses the truth. But we need to proclaim the truth. We cannot be cowardly and hide the truth. We need to proclaim the truth to the world. We need to tell people in every sphere of life, this is how God would do it. This is what our creator would have us do, right? And we need to practice the truth. Because if you practice but do not preach, that makes you a, a hypocrite. If you don't practice what you preach, it makes you a hypocrite. So some churches aren't proclaiming the truth. Some churches aren't practicing the truth. To whom much is given, much is required. God gave this church the truth in, that's, that's in the word, that's in the gospel. And we are responsible to practice and proclaim it. I did some study once. There's 20,000 churches in the city of Chicago. And yet there are sky high murder rates. Uh, we all know there's a lot of issues with Chicago. You'd think with 20,000 churches. Going back to the marks of the church. Have that in mind as we continue. Maybe they're not firing on all cylinders. Maybe they're not preaching the gospel. Maybe they don't believe the Bible. There's liberal churches that don't believe the Bible is God's word. Maybe they don't make much of Jesus Christ. Maybe they lack Christian love. Maybe their, their leaders are in sin. Maybe they don't practice church discipline. There could be a number of issues. But I tell you what. I find this interesting correlation. 
the places in the world that are the most miserable to live in. Think North Korea. Places like that. Syria. And we could go on and on with places that are under tyranny and oppression and poverty. They happen to be the places where the gospel is censored and the church is persecuted. Or there can be a church like our, uh, a nation like ours where the church actually has freedom to proclaim the truth but doesn't because they love the world. God have mercy. So we possess the truth and are responsible to practice and proclaim the truth. When the church is doing that, um, we can build societies, we can build families, we can build lives that are godly, amen, and are righteous and just. Now, that was the intro. Let's get to the sermon. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Focusing now on evangelism and discipleship. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and followed him. Everyone see what's going on here. Jesus finds two brothers. says, follow me. They leave essentially their business, their boat, to follow him. Finds two other brothers, James and John. Follow me. They leave their business, and it says they leave their father, their family, to come and to follow him. Now, I, I want to throw a hypothetical out there to put this in perspective. Um, imagine Jesus does what he did, finds these brothers, Simon and Andrew, come follow me. And they say, well, I'm actually going to the rabbi down the road. Right? Like how we go to church down the road. Some of y'all looking at me funny. Okay. So you have church on every corner, right? You have church on every corner. So, so Jesus calls them, follow me. He says, no, I'm, I'm going to the rabbi down the road. Okay, no, I haven't caught up. See, I want to go to heaven. I want to be right with God. I don't want to follow you, Jesus. I don't want to do it your way. Goes to James and John, follow me. He says, we're just not ready. Just not ready. Now, is, are they being obedient or disobedient to Jesus? Now, we, we said our confession of faith earlier, that salvation is by blank alone through blank alone. Let's fill in the blank. Salvation is by grace alone, through, through, through faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. Every time we say that confession, I preach it to myself. By grace alone, through faith alone, as we have laid out, you cannot earn salvation. It is the gift of God. We obtain it by believing in the gospel, by believing in Jesus to save us from our sins. But some people take that and say, if, if it's by faith alone, I don't have to do anything. But what about the case of these disciples? It actually required something of them, did it not? Jesus says, follow me. He says, yeah, I believe. Well, if you believe, then you're going to follow me, right? Right? 
Now, someone might find a way around this and they say, yeah, but Jesus ain't here. Well, in a way he is. The Spirit's here, right? The Spirit of Christ. We are reading Romans 8. The the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And in the next verse it says, if Christ is in you, speaking of the Spirit. But but let's just say, yeah, Jesus is not here bodily. He's not walking around in a robe and stuff like he used to. He's not saying, come follow me. You just stuck with me. Got Daryl over there. Hey there. He might say, come follow me, but hey, that's just Daryl. Who's this Jared? Who's he? And you might say, yeah, I'll be Jesus' disciple my own way, basically, which is really like I'm going to sit at home on Sunday (laughs) and watch TV. And uh, yeah, I mean, when people say, yeah, I don't need a church, you know, I'm just going to do it at home. They they usually mean I'm going to watch TV at home. Anywho. Jesus is not here in the flesh calling us to discipleship the way he did for them. So we might find a loophole around this or we might have liberty to say either I don't have to do discipleship like they did or I can define it however I want and require very little of myself in following Jesus. Everybody get me here. I want to read to you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Very German name, right? Uh, He was a pastor during World War II. He was was a very vocal critic of Hitler, even within days of him um, being elected as chancellor. And when the churches of Germany actually began to side with the Nazi party, he basically rebuked them and split off. Um, In addition to being a pastor, he was also a theologian, a scholar. And why am I saying all this? Um, because he saw a society that was fleeing from the truth. It was departing from the truth. Germany uh, was the home of the great Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. By the way, we're on the 500th anniversary of that. 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg. If if you didn't learn that in, in your history classes, I feel bad for you. This is crucial world history, okay? He nailed his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg, which is basically proposing a debate. He said, listen, I found some things in the Bible that that contradict what you guys are teaching. So he nails it on the door. This is actually a common practice to do such a thing. But it was really a revolutionary act. That was 1517. We're in 2017. And the anniversary comes around October. Anyway, that was Germany. Just to give you an idea of what a rich... Christian heritage Germany had and how many brilliant theological minds came out of that country, yet how apostate they were to allow the um, the Nazi regime to come in, right? So he's going against the grain. The church is failing to proclaim the truth and practice the truth, and they're going along with evil men. Ultimately, he dies. He's hung by the Nazis literally days before Hitler is caught. Or rather, he commits suicide, literally days. Just wanted you to know that about this man, because he's not just another guy with a weird name. He's uh, weird to us, because we're not German. He really was legit. He was the real deal. Amen? I want to say real, recognize real. Okay, let me read this quote. It's a long one, so, so brace yourselves. 
When Jesus first came to his disciples, he came to them with his word and was present with them in bodily form. But this same day, Jesus died and rose again. How is his call handed on to us today? To call us, follow me, Jesus no longer passes us in bodily form as he passed Levi the publican. What right have we then to leave all and follow him, however earnestly we desire to hear his call? For the men of the New Testament, the call was unmistakable, but for us it is highly problematic and an uncontrollable decision. How could we apply Levi's call directly to our own lives? Did not Jesus adapt his words to suit different men on different occasions? What about the paralytic? He received forgiveness and healing. What about Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. He did not call them to leave their work and follow him, but instead he left them at home with their families and their jobs. Does it follow that he loved these less than his disciples? Who are we to come forward and volunteer for such an extraordinary and unusual life? That is the life of a disciple of Jesus. Who is there to tell me and others for that matter that we are not acting on our own initiative and following our own wild fancies? But that would not be discipleship. There is something wrong about all these questions. Every time we ask them, we are retreating from the presence of the living Christ and forgetting that Jesus Christ is not dead, but alive and speaking to us today through the testimony of the scriptures. He comes to us today and is present with us in bodily form and in his word. We, we, we who would hear his call to follow, we who would hear his call to follow, we must listen to where he is found, that is, in the church through the ministry of the word and sacrament. The preaching of the church and the administration of the sacraments is the place where Jesus Christ is present. If you would hear the call of Jesus, you need no personal revelation. All you have to do is hear the sermon and receive the sacrament, that is, to hear the gospel of Christ crucified and risen. Here he is, the same Christ whom the disciples encountered, the same Christ whole and entire. Yes, here he is already, the glorified, victorious, and living Lord. Only Christ himself can call us to follow him. But discipleship never consists of this or that specific action. It is always a decision, either for or against Jesus Christ. Hence, our situation is not a whit less clear than that of the disciple or the publican in the Gospels. When Jesus called his first disciples, they obeyed and followed because they first recognized him as the Christ. But his messiahship was as hidden to them as it is to us. By itself, the call of Jesus could be taken in many different ways. How we take it depends on what we think of him, and he can be recognized only by faith. That was true for the first disciples as it was for us. They saw the rabbi and the wonder worker and believed on the Christ. We hear the word and believe on Christ. That was a long quote, a lot to unpack. Did I mention he was a scholar and a, a theologian? Okay, so let me make this plain for you. The, some applications. The first is that, uh, and Rachel, if you could come to the keys, please. We're going to get ready to bring this to a close. What do we get from all of this? The first thing is that Jesus still speaks loudly and clearly through the Bible and still calls all men and women to become his disciples. That is still plain, literally black and white in the scriptures. If you have a Bible app, 
which you can download for free, you can read Jesus' words to you. To deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him and be his disciple. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus lays it out like this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He left his disciples with these marching orders. Make disciples. Teach disciples. Baptize disciples. And to this day, disciples are carrying on those marching orders. We are going with Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He delegates us authority to make disciples in his name. It continues on. And he still wants men and women to be his disciples. Is it any wonder that the word Christian is only found in the Bible three times? The word disciple found in the Bible 250 plus times. Jesus identifies his people as disciples. A disciple, as we've learned, is someone who seeks to live like Jesus and obey his teaching in every area of life. Are you seeking to live like Jesus than to do what Jesus did? Do you really want to apply his teaching to every area of life, to family, to work, to your uh, interaction in the community, everything you do to honor the Lord Jesus, applying his wisdom, obeying his lordship, is that really the pattern of your life? Or did you just pray a prayer once? Say, oh, I believe. Going back to those disciples, they had to become his students. And the call is the same for us today. They had to follow him. They had to leave something. And for everyone in this room, you're going to leave something. You may not leave your business, so to speak. You may not leave your family, so to speak. Some have. Some have paid a price, strained relationships with family. Some have changed their career to accommodate a calling. But everybody's leaving something from from the crackhead to the CEO of a, of a, of a big company and everyone in between everybody's going to leave something behind to follow Jesus's call and that's that call is still going out today it's black and white for us in the Bible the second thing is Jesus has established and commanded the church to make disciples in his name at this point I know we're a little low in the second service but I would like every available elder or deacon to please line the altar. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And you may not be aware of this, but this is what's called the fivefold ministry. There are five kinds of gifted people that Jesus gives to the church. And for what purpose? It says to equip his people, his church, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God has gifted leaders and has given leaders such as these folks to the church to build you up, to make you mature, to make you whole, to equip you for the works of service which he has called you to. In this church, we do 101 discipleship. I don't know how initiated everyone is, but it's basically one-on-one. You meet with a leader. You go through a book. You go through some lessons. They pray with you. They hold you accountable. I would dare say that when Jerry says, I want to do 101 with you, it's like Jesus saying, follow me. And you can respond with obedience and say, yes, I'd love that. The way the, the disciples actually did, or you can say, nah. Maybe, maybe, then I'm ready. I'm just not ready. I don't even know what that means. I'm just not ready. You know, I'll go to the church down the road. I'll go somewhere else. And there are the good churches. Don't get me wrong. But you need to be discipled somewhere. For us, this is what we do. We have a 201 class. Once you've been through that phase, you've been mentored, you've been kind of tested through the, you know, the early days as a brand new Christian, we say, man, we, we just want to see you get to that next level. I teach the 201 class. I've been meeting with our 201 students uh, the past few weeks and just going over stuff with them, just one-on-one. And um, the Lord has given me such a heart for them. They are Jesus' disciples. They belong to Jesus. And I see these folks, they are here not for me, not for Pastor Joe, not for anyone else, but for him. In fact, that was the advice. My wife was with me in these meetings, and she kept giving everyone the same advice. Do it unto the Lord. Do it unto the Lord. Be a disciple here because you believe in Jesus, because you believe he's called you, because you believe he has more for you. To believe Because you believe his plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. To believe that he has put these people here. Amen. We're not perfect. We're not the Pope of Rome. But we are here. We're in here in Jesus' name. We're giving you the gospel. We're giving you the truth, which is a pillar and foundation for your life. Which brings me to my third point. If you truly believe in Jesus... You will embrace his discipleship. If you disbelieve Jesus, you will reject his discipleship. Jesus said in John 8:31 to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching and you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's one of the most quoted verses probably in the whole world. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But what precedes that is if you hold to Jesus' teaching, then you are his disciple. Now it says to the Jews who believed him, but you know what comes after this? They actually get offended at Jesus. Jesus says, be my disciple, hold to my teaching, you'll know the truth, truth will set you free. That sounds awesome. Sign me up, right? That's not how it goes. They get offended say, Jesus, I've never been a slave to anyone. How are you going to set me free? What are you going to set me free from? And as the exchange goes on more and more, they just get more offended at Jesus. 
more bitter and angry at Jesus to the point they literally want to kill him. Now, did they really believe in Jesus? It says to the Jews who believed in him. I think that was a superficial faith. I think that was just, it was just by, uh, they were just fascinated maybe with what he was saying, fascinated with his miracles. Maybe they wanted something out of him, but they didn't really believe him, and they didn't want him to be the Lord of their life. And you will have numerous opportunities to get offended with these people. But my friend, they're here in Jesus' name. Augustine might tell you, hey, stop watching those movies, man. They're really just making you dark in your personality. Stop watching that stuff. I'm like, who are you? Who are you to tell me what to do? Child of God. But they're here in Jesus' name. They're here in Jesus' name. They're giving you the truth, a pillar and foundation to base your life on. I want to say one more thing about these folks. We talked about godly leadership. I know all these men and women to be above reproach. We, you don't have to turn there, Joby, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says to his readers, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or to put it another way, follow me as I follow Christ. Or imitate me as I imitate Christ. I could tell you what, Daryl and Catherine have a life worthy of imitating. They raise their family in a manner worthy of imitating. Tony works in a way worth imitating. He loves his wife in a way worth imitating. Augustine engages in the world and with his friends in the in the world and in, in, in a way that's worth imitating to where he's a leader and not a follower. Kirsten is a mother and a youth leader in a way that's worth imitating. She does everything she does unto Jesus, following him. Will you follow her, ladies? Will you follow her as she follows Jesus? Will you follow Ulysses, Ricky, all these fine folks as they follow Jesus? So the call is still going out, folks. You have your pick of the litter here. We're going to pray in a few moments. You have your pick of the litter. If you need to be a disciple, gals with gals, men with men, they will do one-on-one with you. They will encourage you. They will get in your life. They will hear, they're not here to judge you. They're not here to discourage you from wanting to, to follow the Lord's ways no matter where you're coming from. But they will challenge you to live up to the standards of Jesus, to live like Him and keep His commands. They will do that. You can start that today. They, when you come up to pray with them, they can kind of inform you and let you know what's going on there. When we pray, I also want to do a second group. If you are in discipleship already and you want to be encouraged in that path, one thing about Jesus is he never gave up on his disciples. Never. Anyone who really wanted to follow him, he never turned them away. Now, there were some people who wanted to do it on their own terms. And he's like, bye, Felicia. Because, you know, my way or the highway. 
You know, you want you want 50% of me or you want all of me, you know? So there were some people they try to do it on their own terms, but anyone who wants to come to him on his terms and be his disciple, he never turns away. They fall, but they get back up. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus still restored him. You might feel, man, I've let Jesus down. I've let the church down. I've let myself down. I've let my family down. I'm discouraged. I'm being tested. I'm being tried. Jesus has a plan for you yet, and Jesus has not given up on you. I just want to read the last thing, last point here. If you are Jesus' disciple, you will learn to preach and make disciples like Jesus. That's what he did. The servant will become like the master. The student will become like the teacher. And you will find that strong desire to want to see other people become Jesus' disciples and to want to see the truth of the gospel go out to the ends of the world. By the church making disciples, Jesus' kingdom will spread to all nations and all people will know the truth that sets them free. It will be the cry of your heart. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for these people that are here today, these disciples of yours that are here today. Thank you for everyone that is hearing this word, regardless of where they may have stood with you before this moment whether they were in the church they belonged to you whether they were outside of it and they did not belong to you Lord I pray because it is by faith because you are so gracious you are so merciful you will love them and welcome them with open arms and I pray it will be true of everyone who leaves this building today that they will be a child of God they will be a member of your household They will be of your ecclesia, Lord. Father, I thank you for these leaders here who have persevered through so much. I do not doubt their love and faith for one second. Thank you for them, Lord. I just pray, oh God, I pray for disciples, Lord. This world needs disciples. Chicago needs disciples. The nations of the world need disciples to go out there with your truth and with your love. Daryl, I want to ask you to please pray. We, we at MPI, we have a, a goal, a big goal to reach 100,000 disciples in, just in this city alone. I really want that. But there's so many steps along the way, right? And see where we're at. Are we anywhere close to 100,000? I still believe God for it. Will you pray the Lord takes us there? Mm, Heavenly Father, God, you are a God of miracles. You are a God of second chances. You are a God of third chances, God. God, I pray that our vision, God, of 100,000 disciples, God, in Chicago, Father, 100,000 souls, Father, 100,000 people that will give their life to you, God, under the power and authority of your sovereignty, God. Lord, make them uh, uh, convicted of of their sins, God, and, and bring them to their knees, God, because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, God, that you are the Lord and one Savior, God. We have one faith, O Heavenly Father, and with our vision, God, we will bring uh, Chicago to its knees, God, under under your mercy and grace, O Heavenly Father. God, make 
You are a God of, of possibilities. You are a God of miracles, oh Heavenly Father. God, you will bring 100,000 disciples to Metro Praise, oh Heavenly Father. God, and we will bring the gangs down, oh Heavenly Father. We will strike down uh, uh, gangs, God. We will strike down violence and gun violence, oh Heavenly Father. We will uplift your name, God, and your power, oh Heavenly Father. God, and make every disciple that comes through Metro Praise, God, Give them tenfold of what they what their vision is of every disciple that they can see, God. Give them the foresight to see past what they can see, God. Give them your vision, oh Heavenly Father. God, every disciple that stands up here right now, God, we have the power, God. Every Your power, oh Heavenly Father, and your grace, God. Give us the, the your mind, God, because we know that our ways are not your ways and our thoughts, God, are not your thoughts, God. You have a higher calling for us, God, a supernatural calling, God. Your uh, uh, your ways, God, and, and your methods for us, oh, Heavenly Father, will, will shine and be an exemplary uh, uh, a conveyance to every person that comes through these doors, oh, Heavenly Father. Make us your disciples, God. Allow us the, the power and mindset to, to uh, evangelize, God. The corners and the street corners of the west side of Chicago, the south side of Chicago, Lord, the north side, the east side of Chicago, southeast side, God. We need 100,000 disciples, God, because that's the vision that you gave to us. God, that is your vision for Metro Praise, God. We will attain this through you in Jesus' mighty name, God. Amen.